Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today we're going to have the third part of our Future Ready Nebraska Conference series that is showcasing some of the great presenters that we're going to have at that conference. Uh, That's taking place on June 14th and 15th. Uh, And so that's next week. And really excited to share out this episode as I'm joined by Melissa Pilkowski with Valentine High School here in Nebraska, who will be presenting at Future Ready. And also Mike Muhammad, who is a physics teacher at Brookfield Central High School in Wisconsin and is also going to be presenting. Uh, And so, Melissa, Mike, welcome to the pod. Great to be here. Yeah. And these are all friends that I, uh, we were just saying before we started recording, how great it is to just get a chance to catch up. And I do want to, I guess, go back to last year is where I'm going to set the stage with this. When uh, Melissa was part of that conference experience, we uh, chatted in the main room, which will be a part of this year's as well, where we'll have kind of some informal conversations. I do almost like a five hour live podcast is what it feels like to me uh, in that space. But once, uh, once it was over, I was talking with Melissa and she gave me some really great feedback that we need more teacher voices at the Future Ready Nebraska Conference. And so this year we made that a priority and have two strands for teachers who are currently in the classroom. And so that is something that uh, I'm excited about. And so Melissa, thanks for that feedback, by the way. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for taking it. <laughs> for sure. And will you kind of speak a little bit more to kind of your backstory in education and, and let people get to know a little more about you? Yeah, I have just finished 20 years in teaching English Woo! language arts at the secondary level. I know it. But you know how teaching is. You are never a master. It just seems like every year I have so much to learn. And even right now I'm doing the Nebraska Writing Institute. And I'm already coming up with so many new ideas for next year. So that's, you know, what's great about teaching is even though 20 years in, I still feel like I'm figuring this all out and still getting better and better. But as you said, I am at Valentine High School. I just finished my 10th year here and teach mainly juniors and seniors. And I'm also kind of doing a little one-act theater at the school. I do senior sponsoring and am working on my doctorate. So I'm hoping to start my research for my dissertation this fall, knock on wood, and get that finished up in the next 18 months. So that's me. Awesome. And, you know, I love that we've had a chance to collaborate on my background, which is ELA and I love gamification, which I know is games education is your jam as well. Uh, and so I'm, I'll pivot from there too, to say that I also appreciate Mike and I have had a chance to talk about personalized learning. I've learned from him. So he was actually a trailblazer award winner last time we were in person, right? Yes, um, yes, I think so. Yeah, at uh, the Institute for Personalized Learning there in Wisconsin the, at the National Convening. And so, uh, Mike, yeah, do you want to give a little bit of your backstory? Yeah, so for me too, just wrapping up the 20th year in education. Today? Uh, yeah, this today. This is your last today. day with kids. Yes, so, yes. Congrats oh, to you as well, Mike. Yes, I yes, did so, not know that. Yes, it was, I mean, it's a great time to be talking because just closed out, ready to do a little processing, but um, 
I've been teaching at Brookfield Central for, I think, I want to say 15 years. I could be off, but before that, I taught outside Madison, Wisconsin. So been secondary science my whole career, but more recently fell into physics. I've been doing biology, chemistry, and general science, but I think for the last eight years, it's been all physics all the time. And in the midst of teaching physics, I know like Melissa was sharing a moment ago, you have incorporated a lot of different elements into your practices. And as any good educator does, right, we never stop learning and you're tinkering and adding things. And so were you able to do that this year uh, with all the challenges that were in place? I mean, I, especially with physics, right, you're probably dealing with a lot of hands-on materials. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say this. I hate to say it, but this is probably one of my worst years as an educator. I, th- I think I was forced to, in the name of safety, in the name of reaching all learners, um, we were basically, when we started the year, we had about maybe about 30% of our population virtual synchronous with 70% that were in-person, masks, full-time, full-time social distancing. So it's like all those tools that I had built into my classroom, all that hands-on work, all that collaborative work, all that maker work that I had built into my class over the years, kind of got taken away from me. So it was kind of a struggle to see that visual of my class where we are back in rows, everyone in their seat. So going back to that was really, really tough. And I feel it was probably my hardest year as an educator, but made it work and kind of had to make it work. So we're there and the ability for all of our students to have Chromebooks let us leverage technology quite a bit and do a lot of simulations and interactive labs. So we were still able to hit the science skills, but I don't feel like I was able to do everything that I love, which was tough. Mike, how were you able to balance that 30% of kids that you had at home and you're teaching them synchronously with your other 70%. Like what technology did you use or what strategies did you use to manage that? Yeah. So we basically use Zoom every day to Zoom with our students. In terms of a learning management system, we use Canvas. But when we are basically, when I'm doing large group instruction, using Pear Deck was one of the biggest things because even though students may not be able to talk or chime in with their voice, I could still kind of keep track of everyone and everyone could still participate on any slide and interact. So being able to keep track of everyone was uh, really powerful, but I think I found out really quickly how much Zoom can do in terms of sharing a screen and annotation. We all became really quick experts on everything you can do within Zoom to basically present to students who are here. And then On the other end, really all that hands-on work had to be digital work, which was really tough. But again, there's a plethora of great simulations out there from FET, which is out of University of Boulder, Colorado, that has great STEM simulations, K through 12 plus that are completely free in across math, science, and they're really, really great and can be built and changed up for teachers to use in any curriculum. So it's been really really powerful. Wow. I uh, would point people to, if you're living in Nebraska, listening to this, Prairie STEM has done historically and very much expanded those efforts over the course of the past year with free STEM kits that they actually sent to students' homes um, so that they could interact with some of those materials 
we did a podcast on that. So if you're super curious, you go back and listen. But uh, Melissa, I'm going to flip your question on you, though, and say, so this year, and I know uh, in Nebraska, there was quite a bit of in-person with masks and maybe not as much. There was hybrid, though, at times, for sure. What was, what was kind of your experience this year? I'm, we all had to have been frustrated <laughs> at oh. different times and not reaching the richness of all that your 20 years of experience has led you to be able to do and facilitate, you know, in a classroom. But yeah, what was it like? The second semester, I think we kind of got in a rhythm and with masks, we just didn't have a lot of quarantines. But that first semester, I mean, there's so much that I would have done differently. I had quite a lot of my kids who had to go on quarantine, especially out of my senior class to the point that it was almost two thirds at one time. And trying to do it blended with a kind of a synchronous and asynchronous. I mean, we made it through, but it was just that loss of connection with the kids. And I know when they're at home and they're distracted by other things that they want to do and need to do, you lose a lot of that depth of learning that happens when you're in the classroom. And what what's happening in the classroom is the focus. And that's something that I think we definitely learned this year as educators is that we can't easily replicate a classroom environment. We can deliver content online, but it's still not the same as having 15 to 30 kids all together in one classroom, kind of moving toward that same goal. I mean, there's almost an unexplainable power of that togetherness that can't be found when you're home alone, even when maybe you're logging in and even if you're watching along with everyone or adding on to the discussion forums, it's just not the same as being side by side. Oh, I'm getting like goosebumps as you're talking because it's making me think of just like I can remember times facilitating discussion where it starts off slow and it's clunky and kids are struggling to either engage or wrap their mind around what you're doing and you build and you build and you build and the questions like start to stack as the intrigue starts to rise and it sort of reaches like a in-person, right? Like this crescendo where you're like, I just feel like the room rings <laughs> because uh, it is so abuzz with just all the things that, that you, I mean, those are the days you go home and you're just like, I'll do this for the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> I like, absolutely love those vibes from that. And I bring that up to say, there've been times too, where we get about to that place and a kid has to go to the restroom and it kills all of it. And so if, if, if one hand asking the question to go to the bathroom could kill the vibe, I can't imagine trying to, uh, and I did teach remotely myself March through May of 2020, but uh, gosh, yeah, just what is what is lost by masks? What having students in two separate spaces takes away from the ability to build to where it rings. I don't have, I don't have a better way of saying it. Like Mike, I see you nodding. I guess so. Would you agree yeah. on some level? Oh, I really think at the large group level, but also I found myself having to keep distance from students. But we have masks on, and the ability to really have those one-on-one -on -one conversations too. Because when we have work time, it's that's where I feel like I build my best relationships with students is during work time when they ask for help coming over and sitting down with them working things through and I just found across the board everyone was much more hesitant to ask for that help call me over because we almost had these little bubbles around us like these invisible bubbles that were kind of like okay can't really get close to each other and that was that was really tough even with the virtual learners 
trying to, okay, we're going to set up breakout rooms and then everyone's going to be in a little breakout room just so we can have more of a private conversation and all that took away all that spontaneity or that comfort of just calling a teacher over and having a, a real conversation or working with a small group of peers and hearing those conversations as they're trying to work through problems. That collaboration piece, whether it be peer-to-peer, peer-to-teacher, completely gone. And I think that's a lot of where a lot of the great learning and relationships happen. So that was uh, really tough to lose this year. And it makes me wonder for next year, just how many teachers' classrooms are going to really focus on adding those discussions back in, maybe more than ever before. I think there's a lot of teachers out there who are burned, burned out on technology, and I don't blame them, but I'm now interested to see you know, how that shifts this coming year into more of that relationship work now that we can actually have kids sitting together and do pair shares and do small group discussions and those types of things that it just is difficult to do this year. That makes me, I kind of put my personal learning lens on with that too, though, and say that I, I could see there being a need to have to reteach students how to engage in those types of, even whether it's in pairs or whole group, just like the scaffolding it takes to, to be an active listener, to like ask, and you have to do that normal time, like, like prior to the pandemic, like that work still was really important. Um, but especially now because they might be out of practice, but I think the flip side of that, correct me if I'm wrong with this as an assumption and who knows, it's probably different for each person. Right. But flip side of that would be, I'm sure they're going to appreciate the heck out of that when it finally comes back. And for some learners like my son, who hasn't, he'll be in second grade next year. Um, I'm, I'm excited for the momentum to come around his learning because he's never really known it, you know, since maybe the first couple months of school. I think it's going to be weird for some of these more traditional analog modes to become novel. Now, now this is the novel mode, this classroom discussion we're going to have, talking to someone face-to-face versus in some other digital means. I think that's going to be really interesting to feel that shift go back. But yeah, but maybe more appreciative of it now than they were before. For sure. And I, I'm hearing in our, the trend of where we're talking right now, that there, there are lessons learned from this time that are going to shape whatever it looks like, that new experience. And I don't want to pretend like this is like new normal and go so drastic with that. Um, but I do think things will be different. And so what do you, what maybe personally, because Mike, even you were talking earlier about what you've taken away from this year. And, and here you are on the last day, kind of looking back and getting a chance to process it. Uh, what do you think some of those things are? Yeah, I do think just little options that were created digitally can still survive as a choice option. All right, you weren't here for this lab. Well, I I have a digital version of it now. You weren't here for this lecture. Well, I got into the practice of recording my lectures via Zoom. That technology could still be there and students, all students could possibly benefit from revisiting it or having that library available if it wasn't there before. And building in almost that other track that we had this year may benefit some learners or having some of those structures. And I know across the board, a lot of our teachers weren't um, up to speed with our learning management system canvas. And this year was a big push to, all right, let's get some unity in terms of what our homepages look like, what content we have on that homepage for students to look at. And that actually forced us to create some continuity that's gonna carry on 
from here on out and making teachers much more experts of what they ever were for teachers who never did anything in Canvas except maybe upload some PDFs. Yeah, I've kind of joked sometimes that uh, it previously was just more of like a digital pinup board for, for past assignments. And now it's like learning modules and you can put a full experience all the way from the instruction through the assignment itself being submitted there, uh, which is kind of kind of cool to see how widespread. It's always had that capability. People were doing that kind of work, but I think it certainly has become much more a norm that teachers are aware of that full capacity that it has. Uh, Melissa, what would you say? One thing that I would love to see stay that I think we saw a lot of, especially in those first few months, was giving kids grace. And Mike touched on it a little bit with, you know, giving them different options with choice. And I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate of choice, of everything should have some sort of choice for kids to give them ownership. But a lot of times we become so stringent on deadlines or certain ways that assignments have to be done. And I think we benefit the kids a lot when we become a little bit more relaxed with that and we work with their lives and especially what's going on with their lives. I mean, we certainly don't know everything that's in their lives. But if I consider all of the breaks that, you know, professors gave me during college, if I missed a paper or, you know, had a death in the family, honestly, all of my professors really treated me with kindness and grace and always let me turn something in, always worked with me. And I would love to see teachers continue to do that. I think they did that really well in the early stages of the pandemic. And I hope they continue to do that when we're back face to face and not giving kids a free ride, but also being able to work with kids and not have hard and fast deadlines. I love that. And teaching them how to manage that. I think my kiddos grew, I'm speaking for my own children, like have grown so much in their academic responsibility during this time because they kind of had to in some of these instances where it just wasn't as easy when they were at home or even in person to kind of get the type of support they needed to stay organized. And so they just sort of out of necessity forced them into those spaces. And your your comments there, actually, I'll give a shout out to Brooke Cavan, who I was talking with earlier today. Uh, and she was referencing an experience she had earlier this week, learning opportunity with Dr. Anthony Muhammad. Uh, are either of you familiar with him? No. You're like, great, great name, right, Mike? Great name, yes. <laughs> no relation. <laughs> um, well, at that training, uh, she said that he brought up this point that, I mean, it's pretty powerful that instead he doesn't like to refer to kids as at-risk kids, uh, that instead he calls them school dependent. And I, I, she shared that with me and I was like, that's a, such a brilliant way because the, the point being that it's, it's more so that they just rely on the school to have to step in to kind of take care of whether it's meals or emotional support or in teaching them how to learn or to engage in a conversation. And not to say that everybody that, that is at risk is de in a deficit in all those categories, but often those are some of the largest contributing factors to why a student maybe ends up there. And so I guess in what you were sharing there, as far as giving grace and our role to come around the learner, um, that sort of harkened back to something I learned earlier today. Yeah. And what a powerful spin on how to look at that concept of being school dependent, because that is so true. And we need to help those school dependent 
students and you know as you did with your kids you know you have to help them learn how to organize and I get it I know there are those kids that need reminder after reminder and you get to March and you're just like oh for the love but they're school dependent they need that extra support and they need our patients yeah Mike how, how does that hit your thinking yeah, I, it's it's really incredible. I think, you know, just because we were in this pandemic situation and everyone was much more aware of a larger population with difficulties, it made us, yes, give us that grace to a larger population of students. We were more empathetic, but we had students who had that situation all along. And mm-hmm. um Maybe we weren't willing to ask and maybe we weren't as concerned or maybe there are students who weren't as willing to put that out there. But I think the, like Melissa said, giving them that grace, giving them that empathy, giving them that benefit of the doubt that they're not trying to game the system, that they need this help, this grace from us. And um, I think if that's something that we could take forward, as opposed to all these tips and tricks and tools that increase empathy we have for our learners, that willingness to realize that, okay, we're still, we're about the learning, whatever that learning is, whether that's learning skills, we're not going to punish them for behaviors or turning things in late, which is more of a behavior rather than a measure of academic learning. That, that'd be something really powerful we could take with us moving forward. Yeah, and in what you're sharing there, and in Melissa's as well, is that it takes a certain level of relationship and understanding to get to know someone enough to empathize with their situation, because they obviously, as you just shared, Mike, have to like divulge that information about who they are, what they, their cares and dreams are. And you said earlier, so I want to pair it with that, that that was really hard to do this year because you couldn't get in people's bubbles. So what was there something you found yourself doing to still sounds weird, permeate the bubble, <laughs> like, like break down those walls of communication. I'm probably gonna edit that other part out, but, <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying though, as yeah. far as like, what were you able to do to, even though it wasn't optimal, like mm-hmm. still foster those relationships at a time when students probably needed it most? Yeah, I think that is where we build opportunities to learn about students outside of the classroom and really form those relationships because it can't be physical in a digital context, whether that be, all right, uh, it's just off the top of my head. One of the things we do the first day of the school year, students create a Google Sites portfolio. Their first page that they create is an About Me page where they put in YouTube videos, telling you a little bit about themselves, about their hopes and dreams for the future, their favorites in media, and a couple other things. But that's a place where I can learn about them and then connect with them. And in terms, instead of going up to their faces, putting those comments in a system like Canvas. So those conversations start there and the ability for students to record and for me to respond in something like Flipgrid. Again, these conversations happen digitally as opposed to physically in my face and slowly over the course of the year as some of our, um, just recently, our mask restrictions were lifted. Um, That doesn't mean we could be close face to face, but the idea that these conversations, these faces can actually be seen. Terrific. Uh, Melissa, thoughts on that? I think a lot of it is in those small things and in that moment to moment work that you do with the kids, even though you can't maybe necessarily get close to each other with 
the masks or with social distancing. I mean, there's still the banter. There's still you as the teacher being your same self and being consistent no matter what your mood, because for some kids, that's what they need to know what you're going to be like day after day and that you're going to be an emotionally stable person for them. I also think a lot of it comes out just in the work that you're doing with the student. When you're giving that student feedback, that personalized feedback is another great time to build that relationship, to you know really show that student not what they got wrong, but also what they got right and what they're doing right. And using that feedback as a way to learn and not a justification for their grade. And, you know, really just the way that we approach feedback, the way that we phrase feedback can be really powerful. It's a small thing, but it's really a super important thing. If that feedback is cold and unfeeling, that is going to damage that teacher-student relationship. Gosh, I've appreciated in the, over the duration of our short conversation already, just how many like nuggets in there about things you could take and implement and do. And, and I, I know this year I learned about Moat, for example, as one uh, add-on where you could leave some feedback in a little bit of a different way because you, you can put some like audio comments in there and, and I know some people have started to leave video whether that's through Flipgrid or something like that to to extend that and you know, I think about even like journaling and some of those that in-person practices that really sometimes students really open up in those opportunities and so any of those I think are always really healthy to do and I would imagine Looking to the start of next school year. Not yet. I don't want to say that yet. You guys, yeah, it was a whole summer. <laughs> but as being a, a great place to build from as those relationships. And you get to get back to all the fun activities that you always have like loved to do. And oh, there's got to be energy with that too, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm really excited. You know, I, I don't want to say uh, uh, I don't want this summer to be done yet, but I am looking forward to being me again, honestly, you know, I, I felt like there's been a little bit of a, a pullback in terms of my energy for whatever reason, trying to, again, trying to keep that stability, like Melissa said, being there for the students. And some of that requires leaving some of however I'm feeling about the rest of my life, not that anything's wrong, or I think it's just the, the pandemic, just to be able to leave that at the door and bring in this energy for them. It's, I look forward to having them bring some of that energy back in some of the activities we do. There's another goosebumps moment. I know exactly what you're talking about because both you and the students are bringing the weight of everything else being more difficult, right? Like not that this even has to be bad, but like you to just be, have to be cognizant of a mask and where you are and and your bubble socially at all times. And yeah, what that would rob in terms of the ability to, to just generate that uh, energy too. when some classes you really connect with and you can feel it and you see it in their face and their eyes and you just energize you and you come alive as a result of it. Uh, to be able to get back in those rhythms will be super rewarding. I, I got to think. Melissa, you're nodding your head too, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Can't wait to. Well, I mean, I can wait until August. <laughs> Fair. Not saying like next week, but yeah, just to get back and to be, you know, having those conversations again with kids and being able to work with them. And it'll be like Mike said, kind of the weight has lifted. Yeah. 
Well, and you, okay, so you're like, not next week, but you're presenting next week. It's not as if you really like take some time off. And I, I appreciate uh, people who need, who are going to take time off and all those things. So I, but what I'm about to share is that I appreciate the two of you because like you, I feel like I, I could talk this stuff like 24 seven all the time. <laughs> and so uh, we're really grateful that uh, the two of you are gonna be presenting different sessions, actually in the same Zoom room back to back on day two, I already looked at it on June 15th. So stay tuned for that. But uh, if you would, um, I guess maybe Mike, I'll have you go first because I think sequentially, not that that matters, but I think yours is up and then Melissa follows on uh, that second day of the Future Ready Nebraska Conference. You wanna preview a little bit about what you're gonna share? Yeah, I'm presenting with uh, my former co-teacher of close to a decade, Andy Espinosa. We're, and, you know, just happens to be where we've been talking about ed tech and relationships, but educational technology tools for learner engagement, representation, and expression. I think one of our biggest things in the class that we had been teaching for so long, it's a co-taught physics classroom in which it is fully inclusive, where we have learners across the spectrum and making that possible. And again, this is not just meant to be a, a talking about physics, but really the type of tools you can bring in based on the universal design for learning framework when we're looking at increasing the ability for students to engage in their learning, increase the ability to have them have different modes of representation and have different modes of expression. And we're gonna specifically look at educational technology tools that we've been using. There's other strategies that we definitely use, but kind of frame this around educational technology tools. So we may be mentioning specific tools, but I think what's even more important is the framework that the Universal Design for Learning provides and understanding the why. So you may not necessarily use these specific tools we talked about. There's not gonna to be tons of, I would say, mind-blowing new tools. They're probably a bunch of stuff that you've heard of before, but being able to apply those with that lens in different ways to meet the needs of learners. Uh, and I, I feel like a lot of people are at that place, especially after this year, where they've, they've dabbled with this tech tool or tinkered with that one. And, and yeah, finding ways to leverage those fully um, and across the multiple scenarios uh, along the learning process. So that'll be good to have some of that. And uh, shout out to Andy, if you're listening to this, I know the two of you are a dynamic duo in the classroom and as presenters as well. And she was, she actually, we recorded an episode on my former podcast, the Westside Personalized Podcast. Uh, and Andy shared some of her experiences with uh, personalized learning and in, in her role in special education. So very good peoples, excited for your uh, presentation. And Melissa, do you want to give us a little bit a preview of yours? Absolutely. Hi, Andy. Um, <laughs> uh, so mine, I'm focusing on feedback and kind of talking about two different things. One, talking about, you know, what is good feedback? What types of things do we need to have in it? Because it goes way beyond saying, hey, good job or awkward sentence. But then we'll also talk about some tools, too, that you could use for feedback. Because as an English teacher, I get it. Feedback takes time. So I'm not going to say that I have all of the answers to feedback by any means, but there are tools out there such as the e-comments, Moat, which you mentioned, where you can really have pretty personalized comments, but you're not gonna have to spend those hours and hours of typing or writing individual comments for every single student. There's a lot of shortcuts out there that you can use. 
Oh, and when you compound that across, I don't know, I had 151 students uh, at the most in a semester. And when you compound those little shortcuts 151 times, you can save a lot of time. <laughs> so uh, that's that'll be a really helpful session as well. Uh, as we bring things to a close, because as always, this time goes incredibly fast. If each of you sort of had a, a message to leave our audience with, what would you say, I guess, as educators are finishing up this school year and definitely looking to take some downtime for sure this summer, uh, but hopefully to also engage a little bit in learning, right? Like what we're going to be doing next week. So uh, yeah, what might you say? Be intentional with what you're doing. Be intentional with how you're spending your time this summer and make sure you get in a lot of rest and a lot of recreation and don't be beating yourself up if you're not working on school or you're not thinking about lessons or you're you know not setting up a basketball camp. But also whether you're at the conference or whatever you're doing for PD this summer, be picky and intentional with what you want to use in the classroom. You don't have to use every single tool that you're going to see this summer. You don't have to do every single activity that looks fun. Things can be good ideas and you still don't use them because you don't have time. You don't have energy. They're just not right. So be intentional, be picky with your time, with your methods, with everything that you're doing this summer and you have the right to rest. That's, that's so great. I love thinking through that and like be, be where your feet are right? and so, and spend time with your family or on your vacation or out in your yard or whatever the case may be. And, and occasionally when your feet are yeah at the desk and you're watching a zoom, like maybe picking up a few ideas there as well. So Mike parting words. Yeah. I, I think the biggest thing this summer, whether you're wrapping up teaching or you're already on break is remembering who you are and getting in touch with that personal joy and what engages you in life. And just remember that when you start thinking about getting in touch with your students next year, um, finding ways to figure out what engages them, what triggers them and bringing yourself in the classroom, sharing yourself. And again, don't try everything you found out about this summer. If you hear anything in PD, again, always, as always, do what resonates with you. Don't be fake. Don't be false as a teacher. Be yourself and go back to whatever brought you joy as a teacher. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's the best professional learning, uh, professional development we could do this summer, right? It's just to get back to being our best selves for kiddos when uh, uh, August rolls back around. So I appreciate both of you so much as people and as educators, colleagues in this effort to push education forward. I just am inspired by the two of you and appreciate your, how thoughtful you are. And so thanks for sharing all that with us today. Uh, if you're interested in hearing more from these two and all of our other great presenters, uh, again, that's June 14th and 15th, which is uh, next week on Monday and Tuesday. And it's virtual, it's free, and you can uh, access the registration for that at nefutureready.com and would love to see you there. So to Melissa and to Mike, thank you for your time. And I'll be sure to check things out. Um, maybe a recording because I'll be in the main room, but looking forward to hearing from you <laughs> at the Future Ready Conference. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much. Thank you.